turn with you to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I know this is a stretch, but for some reason I, I kept remembering this line from this movie. How many of you um, were big fans of or maybe familiar with the movie or the comic book story Conan the Barbarian? Any big Conan fans in here? Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. So Conan, if you remember, you know, giant barbarian man, and he gets uh, basically taken by this group. They're raising him to be a fighter for them or a warrior. And there's a scene in the movie where um, they're kind of training him, and they say to him, Conan, what is best in life? And Conan has this hilarious line, which is not meant to be funny, but it's, he says, to crush your enemies, to see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentations of their women. That's what Conan says is best in life, the meaning of life. To crush your enemies, to see them beaten before you, and to hear the lamentations of their women. It's just hilarious to me. Not because, well, never mind. But I asked Google, I said, or typed in Google, what what is the meaning of life? I was curious what it would crank out. And um, Google answered, no one can tell the actual definition of the meaning of life. For some, it is all about happiness, building a family, leading life as it is. For some, it is about accumulating wealth, whereas for some, it is all about love. In other words, right, we decide, each individual person, what the meaning of life is, which isn't really too promising, is it? It could even be very dangerous if everybody just gets to decide what the meaning of life is for themselves. Sounds very nice, right? You decide, you pick your own journey. But again, that can go very wrong if we're the center of who decides what the meaning of life is, what, it, what is the purpose of being alive. There's one meaning for life that will serve others rather than use them and take from them so that all of our dreams come true. And of course, it's all wrapped up in the one who was of no reputation, who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ, the righteous, our forgiveness, our Savior. So let me pray, and then we'll dig into this. And maybe it isn't going to go where we might think it's going to go, as though the meaning of life is serving God. I would say that's incorrect and dangerous, but we'll get to that. All right, let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. We believe in this word, and we trust in it. We believe it's authoritative and perfect and without error because it contains your word Christ for us help me preach him clearly may I be faithful to this text may all of us gathered in this room tonight hear what you have spoken into this passage that we might walk away not only hearing but doing your word in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and in his name we pray Amen so we're going to pick up in Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 here He's done telling them what he's praying for them for. And he says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Remember, he's in prison in Rome as he writes. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard, which would be the imperial guard, which is about a force of about 9,000 soldiers, the praetorian guard. These were the best. This was like the special forces in the Roman army. 
so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife. That's strange. And some also from goodwill. The former, those who are preaching Christ from envy and strife, preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. So, the preaching of Christ crucified is Paul's absolute priority, that Christ is proclaimed. That's the priority. If, if, if there are those who are preaching Christ, hoping to do Paul harm, because they envy him or because they have personal issues with him, strife with him, so be it. As long as they are preaching Christ. If some preach Christ because they've been encouraged, maybe even empowered by Paul's unyielding defense of it, so be it. As long as they are preaching Christ. So the fact that Christ is being preached everywhere is the very hope Paul has for deliverance from prison. Verse 19, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through our prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So if you ask Paul, what is it to live? He says, Christ. What is it therefore to die? He says, gain. Our lives find their meaning in the proclamation of someone else's life. That's what we're to be all about. That's what we live for. Somebody else. But not just anyone else, right? Anybody that loves somebody could live their life for them. Love songs are like this. You're the meaning in my life. You're the inspiration. Who sang that song? Somebody tell me. Chicago. Um, all, all, all these songs, right? So, so, much, uh, so many talk about you're the reason. You're my reason. You're the reason that I live. So anybody can live for somebody else or think that they are. Structure their life around somebody else. Being with someone. Meeting their needs. Um, just being with them. Caring for them. Giving them things. All of that. But this is Jesus. That Paul says is his life. And Jesus, if he is my life, is the only one that makes death gain. Now that's a very um, interesting concept to think about. For death to be gain, Christ has to be life. All is lost, then. All is lost, no matter what we're living for, if Christ is not everything. Then you lose everything. Everything. For me to live is loving my spouse, loving my boyfriend or girlfriend. Then death is not gain. You lose everything. For me to live is accumulating wealth. Then to die is not gain. For me to live is increasing my happiness. Then death is not gain. For me to live is family. Then to die is not gain. For me to live is all about experiences. Then death is not 
gain only when Christ is life. Not when Christ is an add-on to my life, but when Christ is life. Only then, and indeed then, death is gain. You get more by dying than you do by living. If Christ is your life. Why? How? Because of the direction and reason and purpose and meaning of my life is somebody I will spend eternity with by dying, then death is gain. And I want you to notice, us all to notice, the weathers in this text. The way Paul uses weather, that word. Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached and I rejoice. To, to get to that point, where there were people that were actually preaching Christ to harm you, to hurt you, to maybe extend your prison stay, and for you to say, hey, as long as they're preaching Christ, I rejoice. That's that's pretty serious. Whether by life or by death, Christ is magnified in my body and I rejoice. Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, I rejoice. Whether by life or by death, Christ is magnified in my body, and I rejoice. See, it's, 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 it's a little funny when Christians today, when we try to gauge somebody else's level of commitment to Jesus, and none of us is sitting in prison like Paul was, literally chained day and night to a member of the Imperial Guard. Like Rome's best soldiers, if you try to escape, this man is going to kill you. It's so easy to talk about devotion when following somebody doesn't demand that of us, at least not visibly. It's easy to talk about how much we would give when you don't have to give it. We need to be humbled that we might understand what it means to say for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Paul says, but if I live on in the flesh in verse 22, that is, if I don't get to die and be with him now, this will mean fruit for my labor, which is a good thing, a godly thing. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. So Paul is literally saying, that while he may choose to stay, if it's up to him, as far as it's up to him, right? He may choose to stay and, and gain fruit for his labor, see the work of his hands, so to speak, know that he wasn't sitting in prison for nothing, seeing results of the work that he's doing. He may also pick instead to stay in prison and lose his life because gaining Christ is better than gaining fruit for Christ. Do we see that? Gaining Christ is better than gaining fruit for Christ. We see the difference, right? For Paul, to live was not serving Christ. That's not what he says. The meaning of Paul's life is not serving Christ. The meaning of Paul's life is Christ. So to live was not serving Christ and the fruit that he would certainly see increase from his work and the rewards he would pile up because of that work. Nothing wrong with any of that. Nothing wrong with, with storing your treasures up in heaven, with working for rewards that come later. There's nothing sinful about this. Or not even necessarily selfish about that. Nothing 
inherently selfish about saying, my treasure is with God. I don't want treasures here. I want them there. That's the way to live, right? But Paul doesn't say, my life is about that. My life is about Christ. So that reason for living, for me to live is to serve Jesus. That reason for living doesn't really speak of Jesus' worth, but of the energy shot I get for doing His work. For me to live is to work for Jesus. Then to die is not gain. Because it stops. For me to live is my service of Jesus. I think that turns us against each other. I do. We, we start to think that so much is hanging on us in our service. That we start to get mad at other people. And frustrated with other people. Because they're not living... Their reason to live isn't serving Jesus. They're living to serve themselves. Either other people are in the way of our service, threatening to make us unfruitful because we aren't seeing the results that we want to see in our service in other people. They're not grateful for it. They're not listening to it. They don't do it. They don't adhere to it. They don't take our advice, right? Preachers can really get caught up in this. Well, maybe people don't give us the proper recognition for all of our service. They're not as grateful for us as we want them to be. That becomes particularly dangerous when we're convinced we're doing God's work. The difference is precisely why Paul could rejoice in the fact. So the difference between my life for me to live is serving Jesus versus for me to live is Jesus The difference is precisely why Paul could rejoice in the fact that people who couldn't stand him were preaching Christ. It didn't matter what they thought of Paul to Paul. It really didn't. And it wasn't just that they were neutral or didn't praise him and exalt him. It's that they actively were trying to hurt him, keep him in prison, maybe even work to see him get killed. That happened in Acts for Peter and and many of the disciples. It was professing Christians that got these men killed and imprisoned and beaten. For Paul to live was Christ. How do we know that? Because whenever and wherever Christ was proclaimed and exalted, Paul was rejoicing. Beloved, all the glory we gain in this life, even the glory that comes as the fruit of doing God's will, is nothing compared to the glory we receive when we finally gain Christ. So, I didn't turn my volume off. That was my phone this time. Shame on me, right? So the question is, and I know it's, it's, it's a little... Uh, foggy maybe to think about or or, or so big of a category how do we but what gives you meaning what really gives you meaning about Jesus some of us have mortgaged everything on doing things for Jesus as though that's the meaning of life I just it's not bad to do things for Jesus and I don't want to downplay it but Paul doesn't talk that way For me to live is Christ. That's very specific. 
serving Christ, living for Christ, or Christ. Because one of those, again, doesn't lead to gain. It just leads to death. And it theoretically could go on forever and you would be fulfilled. If to live is to serve Christ, then I can live forever as long as I'm serving Christ and I'll be fulfilled. And we could say, well, I, I serve Him because I love Him. But why do you love Him? If we were more heavenly minded, imagine how much more earthly good we could actually do. Because Paul says this in the context. Remember, he says this great, well-known line, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Of all the things Paul said, that one and probably I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. He's basically saying the same thing. He says that, however, over in Galatians. Those are the two most well-known sayings of Paul, probably. Biographical sayings, I mean. To be so fixed on Christ, could you imagine? To be so fixed on Christ that we would embrace death in His name. Oh, how our neighbors would benefit right now from such love for Christ. People can become impediments rather than your neighbor when life is serving Christ and not Christ. And I know it's a fine line. I totally understand that. But this is why the choice is hard for Paul to make. Because Paul also loves people very much. In verse 23, For I am hard pressed between the two. It's there. That struggle inside. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Not more needful for Paul. You see that Paul's not getting anything from the fact that they need him. He's let all that go. That's not where he finds his identity. These people need me. No, no, no. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul doesn't get his meaning from serving people. He gets his meaning from Christ. In other words, Paul is not needy to be served, to be exalted. His life is pure Christ. It is because of this that his service of Christ is so meaningful and fruitful. Because none of it is for him. He's not trying to scratch an itch inside in his serving of Christ. So if remaining in the flesh for the sake of others will lead to the expansion of the proclamation of Christ, so be it. He'll stay for that. He'll stay for that. He realizes that in his ministry, he is affecting the spread of the proclamation of Christ. Verse 25, and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith so that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. This is, it really is Christ or nothing for Paul. It really is. As Paul writes here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's literally working this out in his own mind. Prison and looming death have brought Paul face to face with reality, with all of it. 
life, death, everything. And he's hard-pressed here between two options. Now, keep in mind, he's most likely tied by his ankle to the ankle of a guard. So he's, maybe he's sitting down at some type of table or on the ground, and he's, he's, he's either writing or dictating. And he's like, man, I, I might need to stay and do this. hard-pressed between two options. Staying for people like his Philippian brethren. Continuing to help them grow so that their proclamation of Christ abounds through their love. That's his prayer for them right in verses 9 through 11. Or the other option, departing this life that his soul may be with Christ in the presence of God where he'll wait for the final redemption of his body in the new creation. And to be sure, Paul says that is far better. Make no mistake. Far better. Far better. Think of the most wonderful things about your life. The most wonderful people in your life. Get all their faces, all those things and places in your mind, all of them, right? And none of those things are probably sinful in and of themselves. The faces that you have in your mind right now that are most precious to you. Imagine if departing, if leaving them, imagine that what you're leaving them for is better than them. I know as a principle, we believe, we know that Christ is better than, right, no other God but Him. We, we, we understand all that from a religious perspective, our priorities, right? But imagine if you really believe that. To depart even then and be with Christ, God's Word through Paul says, yes, that's far better. Now, what is his conclusion as far as he knows? Right, as far as he knows that what God has revealed. What he's picking, because he apparently knows now that this is the case, is that which will result in even more glory and more proclamation of Jesus. I know that I shall remain. So God is apparently revealing this to Paul and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for my coming to you again, getting out of prison, going back to them. Paul sees that if he stays and continues to preach Christ so that the Philippian believers make more progress and therefore have more joy in their faith, and then they praise Jesus more for sending them Paul, more glory for Jesus, Paul says, all right, I'll stay. He says, I I need to get out of prison so I can get back to proclaiming Christ to you. So, beloved, let us us understand something at the end of this text. Preaching Christ is not the proclamation of Christ, which is what the priority is here, is not just for initiating belief in Christ. It's also the center of the means of our progress and joy in the faith. Sanctification, like what Paul prayed for in verses 9 through 11, that doesn't take place from the outside in. We don't make ourselves, we don't sanctify ourselves by doing good works, right? Although we're doing good works, but we aren't sanctifying ourselves by them. 
that comes, the sanctification that produces those things that are pleasing to God by His Spirit in us, come through the hearing and receiving of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins in the gospel. The proclamation of Christ. That's what Paul is so joyful about, even when his enemies are doing it, for their own personal gain. So that would be the first thing to take. That our progress in joining the faith are dependent on the extent to which we hear the proclamation of Christ for us. Secondly, we ought to notice from this text that Jesus is the one managing whether or not we are giving Him glory. You remember uh, in John 21, there's this great scene. Jesus is back with the disciples. They're on the shore. They've had breakfast together. Jesus has effectively restored Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Right? They're eating. John is so close to Jesus. He, he, uh, who was he? Let me let me go back there so I don't make the mistake here. Let me read very quickly from John chapter twenty-one. I'm going to pick it up in verse twenty. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Now, now what brought up this question? Jesus has basically commissioned Peter to shepherd his flock. And now Peter's wondering, I wonder, what about what's John going to do? What's John's job in this task of spreading the gospel? Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, verse 22, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? That's ultimately how we have to be looking at one another. But what about them? What is that to you and me? What about them? What about see? The whole bent of the church can't be that, right? The whole bent of the church. My whole posture can't be. What are you doing for the Lord? Jesus would say, "Why don't you let me worry about that? You proclaim me. You feed my sheep. I'll take care of that." Right. So we, we, we don't go at one another like that. That's not the goal of gathering together or being together, assembling together as a church. Jesus is the one that is managing where and how we give Him glory and with what. And if it's by our life or by our death, He's in charge of it. Which means, I was thinking about this because something that um, I've heard here as being a pastor, and this is uh, that I, I haven't heard before, it's because I've, I've never passed, my, my first church was mostly, everybody was over 60. But I was a young little dork, so I didn't take advantage of it, right? Seriously, way too young. Now, I'm 47. I feel the Golden Buckeye card coming in the mail. That's what you get in Ohio when you're over 55. You get a Golden Buckeye card. You get a 5% discount everywhere you go because you're old. It's really nuts. So I feel that I'm approaching that age, right? But I've, I've heard more than one person here say, I just wish God would take me home. I wish that God would just take me home. 
there's two people I go and see a lot, and every time we meet, they say that to me. They're in pain. They're constantly in pain, constantly in sickness. Listen, that is not a bad thing to say. It is a wonderful thing to say. Right? Because to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The church will survive without me. The church will survive without you. For us to live is Christ and to die is gain. So if you hit a point in your life where where you're thinking, God, why don't you just take me? If he doesn't, the purpose is that you would continue to serve others. He still has something for you to do. So don't retreat. When I say something for you to do, I don't mean go on a quest to figure it out. I mean just if you are breathing, He wants you breathing. If He wants you with Him, He'll take you to Him. He's in charge of how you give Him glory. But I, you know, that... that, working through that frustration for people and wanting, literally wanting to go. Some people have lost loved ones and or spouses and they're, they're older and they're struggling. Everything is a struggle and they think, God, just take me home. Like I don't begrudge anyone that. I, I, there's something precious in that. Like, why do I want to stay here? Just let me go. I don't know why He doesn't let you go. But know that if He doesn't, He's not being cruel to you. Right now, the way He would have you glorify Him is by being alive. Right? If we die, He means for us to give Him glory face to face. He's in charge of these things. What is that to you and me? So live. Live your life where God has you and trust that He will put you right where He wants you to be. This is why Christ alone must have the priority. It's the only way to truly glorify Him. It's the only way to truly love and serve our neighbors when we aren't doing it to get anything from them, including fulfilling our own need for meaning and purpose. No matter where we are or where we're going, our lives are not about the work that still needs to be done. God will raise up workers for all the work that needs to be done. Don't fear. Don't fret. Right? Be released of that burden. The fate of no one's soul hangs on you. The fate of the world does not hang on you. Be at peace. May your life be Christ so that to die will be gained. When the meaning of life is Jesus, Living and dying are not at odds. 